Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Gemma, and welcome to my brand new podcast, Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about, as well as answer some of your questions. To kick things off, this week we're talking all about mental health, talking about it online, how well it's being discussed currently, as well as the role of research in the future of mental health treatment. Joining me this week is Charlie Cox. Charlie is a poet, producer and mental health activist. After first publishing one of her poems on Instagram in early 2017, she went on to author She Must Be Mad, which quickly became the best-selling poetry debut of 2018, followed by Validate Me, her second book, landing her a coveted spot on Forbes' 30 under 30 list. As an ambassador for MQ Mental Health, she continues to destigmatize mental health conditions and remains a relatable voice for young women through her honest online presence. missing is a big plate of pasta i know some nice food to have a chat over that's the only thing missing from this chat Mm, cheesy cheesy pasta nothing that's going to crunch into a microphone (laughs) no just slurp (laughs) okay so even the fact that we're having this chat and we've got you on a podcast to talk about mental health it begs the question, how in general do you feel now about being someone who is known for mental health or known for talking about mental health? It's really odd. I don't think it will ever not be strange. I remember when I first started talking about my sad, bad brain and my mum was so worried about it. She was like, you know, what if like future employers see this or I'm worried that this is going to hinder you at some point in your career or in your life. And my immediate response was, you know, well, why would I want to work for anyone that thought poorly of me because of um, my illness that I can't, you know, it's not my fault. And then with that, it comes that, you know, people are like, you're so brave. I was like, I never really felt brave. But now I think the main thing that worries me is how much it leans on my attractiveness. I worry that men are frightened of me because, you know, you Google my name and everything that comes up is, I just want to die all the time. <laughs> I think, God, yeah, that's that's not actually a wholly accurate representation of me. But it is also good in that I do find that friends more so than they ever were, are so open in conversation with me now. And the vulnerability from others has built such beautiful, interesting foundations in our friendships and relationships that I'm I'm so, I'm so grateful for. Charlie Craggs, who's amazing, just one of my favorite people in the world. She, we were on a panel together once and she said, this is, you know, why did you become an activist? And her response was, I, I, don't, I don't want to be an activist. I didn't choose to be an activist. I physically have to be an activist to validate my presence on this planet. And I kind of feel that way about um, talking about mental health and mental illness. I kind of wish that I didn't have to do it all the time because it is emotionally exhausting. But at the same time, I do think it's so necessary because the conversations that are going on at the moment, I just don't think are quite full enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I think I guess what I was kind of meaning is then do you ever start to feel a bit boxed in by being sort of categorised in that way now? <laughs> yeah, so I I always joke that Mental Health Awareness Week is my least favourite week of the year because I sort of get wheeled out like one of those old school TVs on a trolley on a rainy day at school. Yeah, I do, I do find that difficult because it's not, you know, I have bipolar. I am not bipolar, if you will. And it does frighten me that because so much of my 
work is about that. But the point of me talking about it all the time is to normalize it and say, you know, what we once thought or what we still really think is a frightening, debilitating, like she's insane, absolutely bonkers, off her head illness, like bipolar. You know, I live a perfectly functional life. And if I didn't tell you that I had it, you wouldn't know. I don't think. No, I mean, I can attest to that as someone who knows you. Thanks. What, you mean that one minute I'm not really, really happy and talk really fast and the next minute I'm crying and really sad? Um, Not in my experience. (laughs) (laughs) You got me on a good day, kid. (laughs) How about you? Because you're honest online. How does does it make you, do you ever feel vulnerable? Do you ever feel frightened that people are going to mould your own stories Um, into their own? I wouldn't say vulnerable particularly. I don't know. I feel like once you start talking about something like mental health, I think one of the biggest things is you or I have then felt pressure to keep talking about it, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But then if you're anything like me, you will get into a whole new kind of internal dialogue about you know, people are expecting me to talk about this, but am I the person who should be talking about this? Um, Am I taking up space of somebody else? Have I suffered badly enough to have a platform to be able to talk about this? You know, am I just a big fraud? I hate that so much. I think it's, it's it's a very female thing, that feeling of, is my illness even bad enough for it to be categorized in the same like how ridiculous it's all relative and we all have those thoughts I try so hard not to have them or I try so hard to talk myself down from them but yeah your anxiety is your anxiety you know nobody's is greater or worse because it's not yours like it's not comparable they're they're not comparable things um again which is something that I am quite frightened with the conversations that we're having um around mental health and mental illness at the moment don't distinguish enough don't distinguish the difference between mental health and mental illness everybody has mental health not everyone has a mental illness and I think you know like you just said about your that almost like imposter syndrome you couldn't possibly be an imposter in the most human part of you is what you're talking about um so you've said a couple of things actually so far already that make me want to ask you about how you feel about the language surrounding mental health at the moment so for example you just have made the distinction between mental health and mental illness you said you have bipolar not that you are bipolar um yeah do you know what I think it's rubbish I think it's really rubbish and it's really dangerous I don't think we are arming particularly young people with the right rhetoric that will be helpful to grow emotionally intelligent and mentally stable whatever that means and you know however you deem that adults because you know things like anxiety and depression and and why they are the most talked about of the mental illnesses is because everyone can relate to that you know everybody at some point has felt nervous or stressed so you can understand anxiety and everybody's been you know felt sadness before so you can understand depression whereas you know the less spoken about illnesses like bipolar like schizophrenia like dissociative disorders aren't because they're they're so different from those things that you can't like people don't quite have the same empathy because you you know you can't place that feeling from your own body but within that you know because the words anxiety and depression are being thrown around and I do think they're being thrown around so much now that they're losing the weight of their meaning and I think that you know as as people you're you know you have to feel sadness. You, Everybody will feel sadness. Everybody will feel grief. You know, things will stress you out. Those feelings aren't that necessarily of anxiety and depression. Those are very normal and like important emotions that help us function and put things into perspective. And 
you know, they, those we're almost like doing the opposite of what we think we're doing by destigmatizing mental health, but we're actually then shaming really normal, healthy feelings, even though they're difficult and they're quite intense into, you know, suggesting that they themselves are an illness or they need solving or supporting. And that, that really frightens me. That really, really frightens me. I worry tremendously about uh, young people who, you know, are seeing celebrities and people in the media come forward and say, you know, I've suffered with anxiety or I've suffered with depression. And because there's never really much explanation or much detail after that statement, you know, you're then taking on your own idea or meaning of that and then potentially self-diagnosing yourself or which just leads, you know, you don't, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. And selfishly, I also think, no, you know, I can, I have to sit on a waiting list for three months. And now every, everyone's going because they're thinking, oh no, is there something clinically wrong with me? Instead of, you know, learning mechanisms and learning support systems that, you know, keep your mental health in, in good tact, as opposed to, mental illness is this making sense I don't know if it's making sense yeah it does I it makes sense to me and then I get confused because I think it's equally a really difficult thing because I feel like this is a narrative that the media has really picked up as well to sort of say oh well you know all these young people think they've got problems these days and oh everyone's got mental health issues and actually I agree a lot with what you're saying in terms of as well as just, you know, using the words more, we need to make sure that people understand what they mean and understand the distinction between having emotions and being able to process your emotions and when that becomes a problem. However, though, when it, then when I think about myself, I know that when I had depression and needed to go to a doctor and didn't go to a doctor for some time, part of the way that I kind of explained that away to myself was well you know this is a it's logical that I'm sad because there were some sad things happening in my life at the time so whenever anybody sort of tried to say to me you I I'm not quite sure that you're okay right now to me in my head I was sort of like well it makes sense that I'm sad of course I'm sad this is a sad thing that's happening so I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, it, I still come back around and agree with your point that I think people understanding depression and understanding anxiety, as well as, you know, all of the other conditions that don't get quite as much airtime, I think going beyond and making sure that people understand what they really mean in your life um, is important as well. I think as pointed out, you know, that illustrates it so perfectly is it's it's a it has to be a really nuanced conversation it's not an easy nor basic one-dimensional thing there are so many different facets to it and so many different problems that i i think are getting bigger and creating their own ones within it because of the lack of education and understanding but i think yeah that breaks my heart knowing that and hearing you say that you were able to almost like convince yourself you were fine when you clearly weren't not that you were fine but that what you were going through was perfectly normal which meant you had to deal with it on your own yeah it wasn't it was like I knew that I didn't feel fine but Mm. I maybe didn't realize that it it went beyond the severity of that time yeah do you mind if I ask when you went to the doctor did they say this is clearly depression uh yes because by the time well no actually let me think back properly so I had I had been to a doctor in earlier years um and they had talked mostly about anxiety basically so you know I I knew that you know I had some issues um but it hadn't ever got to the point where I was sort of on medication, for example. But then by the time that it got bad enough and I went back to a doctor to talk about depression, I was really very badly depressed to the point where 
a five minute conversation a doctor would have been like okay we need to we need to do something about this it was got to got to quite a serious point before then I actually went to speak to somebody about that do you know what it's it's mad I mean you are my friend and you know we have these conversations with each other all the time um in fact you're one of the few people in my life even though I have so many amazing emotionally intelligent friends but I feel like when I message you on a bad day you I feel like you really get it you really understand me I I feel really I feel really seen by you and such a flirt (laughs) but also just hearing you say what you've just said is just it's it's so validating. It's so validating to that experience. It just, I just got goosebumps. And yeah, and that, that's the point, you know, these, these conversations, it's not like all about, you know, go for a run and drink more water and get plenty of sleep. And yeah, like happiness, like, it's like, we don't need to be sold happiness. What we need is communion and community and you know, that that safe, wholesome space inside of us that, you know, we can lend out to other people like, you know, you, you do for me on a regular basis. Um, and that, that I think is, I have, well, that I hope will start to become a more centered piece of the conversation around mental health. It's, it is about talking and, and I, there's, there is something just so beautiful and so affirming when you hear someone you love or someone you have a lot of respect for, whether, you know, they're, they're your friend's family or someone on social media or wherever, when they share their truth, even if it's really hard and it's difficult or it's, you know, it's not particularly pretty or nice to hear, there is still such a wonderful exchange in that experience of being able to see somebody else's strength and and that's inspiring and and hopeful and that's something we can all do without having to learn you know fancy words or understand diagnostics or you know know how to support someone through a panic attack you know well before any of that just being vulnerable on a day-to-day basis with people around you I think that is that will be the best and the easiest catalyst for change in all of this I I really hope I really really hope I think talking about it before you get to the stage of mental illness possibly depending on what it is is quite relevant to the role of research in mental health as well which was something that I wanted to talk to you about in your role as MQ mental health ambassador that's me (laughs) that's you that's me um that is the most proud role of my life I I cannot tell you well I will I'm going to try but I find it really hard to express in a way that doesn't sound like I'm being superfluous or you know just a bit ridiculous but how much I love MQ and what they do they are the best (laughs) mental health research charity in the UK and it's you know it's all well and good you know we are you're talking about stigma bashing and you know, putting things into conversations, you know, more openly and more freely. But really, if we don't understand why these things are happening, you know, are people born with mental illnesses? Are, you know, it is something triggered later in life? You know, until, until we really get to the the foundation of what mental illness is, which we still don't really know. It's crazy that the one part of our body that, you know, if you were to ask a child what are the two most important parts of your body? And they'd probably say your brain and your heart. You know, we don't know, I not even like 30% as much about our brain as we do about our heart. And that's so peculiar that this has been such an underfunded part of science and part of research for such a long time. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope well beyond, you know, having inspiring conversations and, hearing people talk about their their own experiences but knowing that there are people that are dedicated to understanding why I think that's bloody amazing I think the why to me has always felt like quite an important one and I mean I'm someone who 
quite enjoys the kind of sciencey elements to things anyway and like to understand why something's happening so I don't know I feel like for a, a mental health charity to be based on research was it was something that I hadn't come across before because understandably so many mental health charities are looking at offering support and trying to help people once they are already in you know a crisis situation or they're already suffering but it is it does feel quite frustrating not understanding why something's happened to you and I think you know if we can get to a position with research where you know if even a proportion of people don't have to have those problems in the first place because we understand why they happen and we understand how to prevent them the dream the absolute dream and and yeah it's I I mean I find on a a daily basis the way I best manage my um anxiety you know the only way that I can really properly deal with it is by being as logical and sciencey as humanly possible with myself and those those inner conversations aren't me going it's fine you're safe let's think of serene thoughts I'm thinking in my head okay this is a chemical reaction in your body it's not your fault what's happening now isn't you know karma or the universe trying to scream at you and say you're not worthy of good things and all these racing thoughts are punishment for something you've done this is chemicals in my brain in my body that are whirring around in a way that isn't usual or ordinary and that's why I feel strange and once I have that in my head I it totally calms me down because it takes away that that guilt that you know my anxiety makes me feel so guilty um about just having it all the time I think that is a level of the why the kind of not not as deep a level as why has it happened in the first place but the fact that you know that it is chemicals in your brain that are making you feel a certain way I feel like why is such a comforting thing to have so comforting and and just so important you know I I was, I was saying this to a friend the other day it is so peculiar to me that I know who I am but I don't know why I am and that's that that I find really tough of you know other than living with bipolar you know well before any of that this feeling of how can I properly understand who I am if I don't know why I have this thing why is it me why like it's it's so hard as a person to not truly understand why you got, you know, the broken brain. And I feel like, you know, not because you want something to blame, but because you just want to understand it and think about how much softer you would be on yourself if you knew that the reason why was just so totally out of your control. You know, the difference between if you break your leg because you know that you did something really stupid and you decided to do something really stupid. The difference in that and then, you know, you being hit by a car and breaking your leg, you know, in those situations, you know which time you're going to be kinder to yourself. It's when you <laughs> you weren't the person that made the decision to put yourself in harm's way. Somebody, something, a, an exterior force jumped in. And then, you know, then you, and then you get sympathy from other people and then people feel, you know, because they understand why. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the kind of metaphor that people like to use, or maybe not metaphor, but the thing people like to say about mental health is, you know, why isn't it treated the same as physical health? And I think, yeah, I think that is a helpful way to think about it sometimes. Like I know in even thinking about, you know, taking medication for mental health was something I kind of didn't want to do for a long time. And then even once I had would sort of have these rebellious, stupid little moments in my head where I was sort of like, well, why should I have to? Why should I have to? This is very unfair. Why is this on me? But again, you kind of have to try and get back to some kind of logic in your head. And what I would always keep saying to myself was, you know, if you were diabetic, 
and there was something wrong with the chemicals in your body and you needed to take medicine to sort those chemicals you out. You do it. You would do that, wouldn't you? And that wouldn't be your fault. So just take the medicine. It's all going to be fine. I'm glad that you have the same condescending inner voice that I have when I talk to myself. I'm like, come on now, Charlie. <laughs> Let's just sit down and have a little chat with ourselves, shall we? Do we? Let's use some logic, we, shall we? we? Come do on. we need a bit of a reminder here of what's really going on? But but on your on that point as well about how you know, how wouldn't it be better if people viewed mental health the same way they viewed physical health? I cannot think of anything that affects me more physically than my mental illness. You know, whether that is medication or, you know, mood cycles that mean I gain a lot of weight or I lose a lot of weight. That's a very physical change in my body. It's the sweating, it's the dizziness, it's, you know, the pain in your hands when you're panicking or when you're rife with anxiety or, you know, it's physically not being able to leave your bed when you're depressed. And it's, you know, it's the pain in your shoulders and your jaw and your neck when you know that you're like, chomping down and clenching things because something's not right you know all of those things are so physical so so physical and and again it's it, it's something that we just don't understand enough about yet to I think to have adequate sympathy for those people who are going through it because it's you know there is there are so many things that I look back on now that as a child and as a teenager I was struggling with so desperately but had just accepted as normal or that I'm I was really just a bit weird that I now know are symptoms of anxiety you know I could I was always I always thought oh, isn't it so weird that I've always got these shooting pains in my hands and oh and the fact that I'm like incredibly constipated and I'm always I've always got a stomach ache I don't know why but I'm eating it's like because you were anxious you know that is your body like trying to like screw up into a ball and you know and 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 show you that there's mental unrest and even just little things like that that as a piece of information that as a piece of knowledge because it's a validating experience that makes my life infinitely more manageable now I know those things so imagine what it would be like if if we knew more than that you know, and there's so much more that we should know and we we could know. Yeah, I get very excited about it. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit um, and jump back to what we were saying before. But on the topic of, you know, people hearing the words but not actually ever really being told what they mean, if you could kind of, this is probably quite an unfair thing to ask you to do, but if you could give a kind of overview of what, bipolar disorder is like for somebody who doesn't really know what bipolar is could you give it a go yes so I think everyone's experience is is totally unique to them but there from what I understand there are three types of bipolar which is bipolar one bipolar two and rapid cycling I have bipolar two with elements of rapid cycling and it, it does come in cycles so it's it's never like quite on the nose, but it's around about there. Every three months, a new cycle begins. And that could be a depressive cycle. And that's, you know, suicidal ideation. It's not eating. It's, you know, sleeping in the daytime. It's drinking too much. It's it's bad, um, bad, bad. Or it could be like a lull of a depressive episode, which is that kind of, general malaise of depression where you kind of just wish that you were having a sit down cry in the shower but but you're not quite there yet there's that's it's almost like you you know that you're about to get pushed and minor inconveniences are, are really starting to set you off a bit um but the the other side of it is mania and mania is a really incredible right it's really fascinating people with bipolar one experience a, a greater level of mania and that can come into play as um having really distorted views about the world and what the world is saying to you or asking of you it's hearing voices it's hallucinations whether they're like yeah audio or visual um and it's 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 quite it's quite 
extreme and I I would imagine incredibly difficult um, to live with. But then for me, I, I find endlessly fascinating in that it presents itself in really obscure ways. It's being a bit more sexually deviant. It's spending lots of money. It's having little feeling of consequence. And, you know, you're, you're just you're very reckless. You're very, very reckless, which to be around can either be really fun or really exhausting. And you are just, you know, I don't need to sleep very much. I can sleep for three hours. I don't really need to eat very much. Um, and I just have this, that creative energy that I don't usually have. You do feel like you're a superhuman. You feel like you've got this incredible superpower of being able to do it all and, um, using your brain in a different way. And you, I feel totally invincible. Um, on the other side of that, it is also very lonely because, it's exhausting. You know, if you think about all that energy that your body has suddenly discovered, I mean, God knows where it's mustered from. I don't understand that. And then with that exhaustion, you become really irritable and, um, and quite anxious. But on a day-to-day basis, I don't think about my bipolar. I, it does not come into my head on a day-to-day basis. It's not something that, you know, I wake up in the morning and, you know, I think this misconception uh, of bipolar being something where it's mood swings that really upsets me because it's not you know some people's cycles are much longer some people's cycles are much shorter you know a bipolar cycle can be a week long uh, it could be a month long it could be a year long mine tend to be three months and I think that part of the problem is that with things like bipolar with schizophrenia um these are disorders that because of the way that they have been sensationalized to us within movies or within um, art and media, we do sort of have, and even I do, and it, it, you have that image of somebody in a straitjacket or you have that image of, you know, somebody being locked away in a, um, in their own filth or, you know, like Miss Havisham star, Lady Havisham star, like sitting in her own wedding dress, you know, for hundreds of years. And, um, it, that's so not what it is at all. I can't, sometimes I kind of wish it was because then I think maybe I would take it more seriously and other people would take it more seriously. Yeah. I mean, that leads me into something else that I wanted to ask you about, um, which was an article that you wrote recently in response to the cover of Vogue Portugal, which I will briefly describe for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, it was an issue that Vogue Portugal did and I believe it had four different covers uh, for what they called the madness issue and one of those covers in particular was an image which was an editorial image that had been set up and shot by photographers in a fashion kind of style um, of a young woman in quite a quite a big bare room in a bathtub naked uh, being washed by two women dressed as nurses. I will let you go on to kind of summarise why that is such a problem and how that kind of representation is dangerous. I don't think I've ever been triggered by anything before. I've never really understood that term. I always, I've always thought that it's just a bit demeaning of feeling to suggest someone's been triggered I don't know I've never been that fond of it but that is the only way that I can explain what my reaction to seeing that cover was it immediately threw me back into a horrid horrid space and and seeing that image I thought if you are struggling or if you if there is something wrong and you've been thinking about maybe you should do something about that is that going to make you go, oh, no, I don't want to end up there. I don't want to end up in something like that. Which I know, I think that's what it would have made me feel when I was younger seeing that. And and I said it was, it's a really horrible line um, to have written. And it was, it still feels horrible now, even prefacing <laughs> to, to say something, I'd give an explanation before I say it. But it was that within that article, I said, you know, if I had seen this at a different period of my life whether that 
been four months ago in my last depressive cycle or whether if that been when I was a teenager I do think that cover would have had the potential for me to have killed myself the damage that 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 cover would have done to so 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 many impressionable young women I scares me really really scares me and it, all, all it took was for someone to say we messed up and we are sorry we do care about you and you know having then made some actions that's you know that, that prove that point and it's it's the same with all media outlets it's you know what it's so so hard to still see on the daily mail or you know whatever awful outlet that is choosing to spin it but you know the images that people now print of lovely Caroline Flack you know it's you you can't say that you know you're being supportive of mental health and furthering the conversation and making sure people feel accepted when we still we still really villainize people we really villainize mental illness when actually for me mental illness isn't bad things it's actually been the one thing in my life that has shown me how incredibly resilient my body is and how amazing I I can be and how I've learned so many different tools and coping mechanisms and how you know I spend periods of time literally like retraining the language in my brain to be kinder to myself and it makes me more empathetic and it makes me more understanding to my friends and think it makes me generally speaking a kinder person a much kinder person because I I've felt that that total overwhelm of having a mental illness and it's the same of all of my friends all the people I know that have have either been diagnosed with something or they've had bouts of depression or anxiety they are the kindest most wonderful strong brilliant creative funny people I know and all of that has come from that experience with an illness or poor mental health and I think that is also something that you know we we never really focus on we never really focus on the fact that it is kind of remarkable that any of us can survive our own brains when they're hell-bent on wanting us to not like ourselves very much or wanting us dead and yet still you know what an incredible feat that we still wake up every morning I think that's amazing that's not villainous that's not dirty that's not frightening to me that's really quite incredible want flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance check out united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com every week my guest and i will be answering your questions and the first one comes in from emma do you find being an introvert or an extrovert is important to inform how we look after our mental health and how can we tell which we are? Wow. What a brilliant question. That's such a, I'd never have thought about that before. That's such a good point. Yeah. I, I do think that newly, I think <laughs> um, that we deal with things differently depending on whether you're interested or extroverted I mean you know from my experience you know I'm quite the wallflower (laughs) definitely quite extroverted and that has meant that you know me talking about my experiences come very easily and almost like naturally you know naturally to me whereas I know for other people who are introverted the thought of talking about their problems um or you know opening up in any capacity must be incredibly frightening um and really really very difficult so i do i do think that that is an important um thing to factor in how to know which and what you do with that i think that that's quite a i think that's quite a hard one to answer in the sense that i don't want to generalize the way that i've heard it before to kind of boil it down to the basics is if you are an introvert then when you spend time with a big group of people, for example, then afterwards you feel quite tired and like you need to recharge and be on your own for a while. 
which is me. Or if you're extroverted, then being in that big group of people gives you a lot of energy and you feel better afterwards, which Mm -hmm. I would count myself as an introvert, but it's not that I don't enjoy hanging out with the group of people. It's just afterwards, I do need to recharge a bit. So I feel like that probably would play into looking after your mental health. That's so interesting what you just said, and that makes so much sense in that I know if I was going to look after you or if I wanted to give you some advice or help because I knew you weren't feeling great I you know my idea of that would be sending you a care package of you know nice soothing calming lovely things that you can do on your own whereas Mm -hmm. my idea of self-care for myself or the thing that would really help me if I was feeling sad would be to go and have dinner with all of my friends. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Wow, I feel like we I've, we just had a quite a nice moment of therapy. I'd never thought about that before. Um, great question, Emma. Love yeah, that question. great question. That's made my brain go all fizzy. I like that. Ooh, we'll have to carry that one on after. Okay, so next question is from Sophie, who asks, do you find that sleep affects your mental health? Massively. I've been in denial about this for a really long time, like a petulant teenager that's like, I'm not tired, I'm not going to bed. Um, and my mum's been saying to me for years, she's like, it's incredible how much nicer you are to be around when you've got a good sleeping pattern. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've been like, yeah, you don't know anything. <laughs> You're just trying to ruin my life, which is not fair. She's not. She's a wonderful woman that cares about me very deeply. Um but yeah, I notice a huge difference in particularly my anxiety. I am so much more anxious if I have had too many late nights um, or I've had broken sleep, then yeah, my anxiety tends to be through the roof. And the, the way that I try, I don't know why, that's one part of my mental health where I feel really embarrassed that I just, oh gosh, I just need to, I need to sleep, guys. I need proper sleep. <laughs> It's a really basic human need. Um, But the way I try and put it in my head to myself is that in the same way that when you're sick, um, your body isn't repairing itself until you're asleep. You know, that's when your body Mm -hmm. actually starts fighting the illness and repairing itself. It's not when you're awake and you're moving. It's when you're preserving all of your energy in one still place. Um, And that's the same with your brain. It's, you know, you need... You need to switch off. You can't constantly be on. You need a bit of a reset and that is what sleep does. And sleep, for me, it's that classic cliche of, you know, sleep on it. Like things will be better in the morning. And you know what? It really so often is is true. And I do think that's because whilst you've been asleep and you've been restful, your brain has had chance to actually repair itself a bit from Mm -hmm. from the previous day's ridiculousness so yes I highly recommend having a good sleeping pattern not it's not about being a morning person it's not about being a night owl I think you know you know when you function best I love writing at night which means I like to sleep in am I going to be made to feel guilty about that no do I want to be a billion um dollar ceo Sure, that would be nice, but really that would mean I couldn't write late at night and wake up late in the morning. So no, I don't want that. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's knowing it's knowing your rhythm and knowing your time and then making the most of that. And now that I know these things about myself and I've been honest with myself about my weird teenage petulance around sleep, I definitely think it's... you know it makes next to no difference to my mental illness because lord knows what does um but my mental health is yeah is so much better now I get a good night's sleep big question from Millie what are the biggest lessons you've learned in terms of mental health during your years two things first thing is um the power of communion and community and leaning on people um Mm -hmm. that how that that is not a shameful thing at all it's actually like the most life-changing transformative (laughs) opportunity you could give yourself when you're not feeling great is to tell someone about it and 
and making you know, making sure that they are in a space where they can receive that kind of information is really important both um both giving or receiving uh difficult conversations and difficult news is you know it takes up a lot of space for for both people um but there have been so many times where things have been so in, like incomprehensibly bleak that I just felt like I couldn't do it I couldn't do it anymore I didn't I just couldn't get my head around being a person and having giving that to someone else get like saying to someone can this feel so heavy can you hold it for me for a moment mm-hmm. is is exactly the kind of rest you need and within that is the other thing that I've learned is that nobody when they're depressed or they're anxious wants an answer they just want you to listen nobody wants mm-hmm. nobody wants to hear you're going to be fine everything's okay um you know, none of that. You're like, no, it's not. My brain's on fire. It's not going to be okay. Everything's not fine. I just want you to validate my existence as a human being that's struggling. And I want you to hear me out because Mm -hmm. chances are when people are talking about their problems, it might also be the first time they've heard that out loud. Yeah. And that is a really uh, big moment, a really big moment to help them then develop tools to put that into perspective and and support themselves through it so yes listen don't answer because there is no answer just you know listen and be there and you know send Zac Efron gifts or you know whatever it is that you know you're into so yes it's the I think the two biggest ones is talking to someone is is never a mistake it's it's always the kindest most brilliant thing you can do for yourself is letting someone it's not I don't think it's about letting someone in I think it's about physic physically handing over the part of you that feels too heavy for them to hold for you whilst you build yourself back mm-hmm. up and then you can take it back again um and in return doing that for other people and validating their experience not telling them that you know, not not trying to fix it, not trying to answer it, but just being there, being present. And I think that that's all we can really do for um, friends who are struggling or going through a difficult time is is just showing your presence, whether that is sending them a text in the morning saying that you love them or, you know, sending them something in the post or sending them a, a photo of something, you know, that does so much more than you trying to fix them out of their anxiety or fix them out of their depression it's just showing up thank you for those excellent questions remember if you want to get in touch with us or have any questions for future episodes email me at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com before you go i've got three things that i ask of every guest and that's if listeners want to learn more find out more about what we've been talking about can you give us something to read something to listen to and something to watch yes with pleasure listen is (laughs) bear with me on this one um Adele writer's rain it is the perfect I think song that when you are feeling whether you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious it's an incredibly validating song of that but it's quite upbeat so it doesn't make you feel melancholy and you know sort of wistfully looking out of windows as the rain pours and you know you you think of all the men that have ever wronged you which is what I do on a daily basis um but every time I feel sad I listen to that song and it gives me this feeling of incredible power and strength and not being okay and that actually you know when you're at your worst and when things are really you know are very difficult the person that you become in that and through that is so much more interesting and more impressive than actually when you're at your best and you're doing really well. And yeah, I love that as a listen recommendation. I would like to prescribe that to everyone because it's just, it's a, it's Adele. You can't not love Adele. Um, blasphemy. Watch. I watched this a couple of years ago and I don't think it's quite complete yet because it's it was filmed about 20 years ago and it is of the experience of a white rich man um so how helpful Mm -hmm. that is 
important preface, but still not, you know, not hugely. Um, but uh, it's Stephen Fry's documentary. It's called, it's called The Secret Life of the Manic Depressive. Um, and it was the first thing. In fact, it's the only thing I've ever watched informatively about bipolar where I felt like I walked away not being frightened of of what I have um but feeling um well just just knowing that like understanding things and and learning about it from you know someone as brilliant as Stephen Fry who is just such a talented wordsmith and conversationalist and I just I really recommend it I really think that without having watched that documentary when I had done things for me I think would have been a lot more difficult to process and understand and it really yeah it it really gave me proper insight into what it is that I now have to navigate for the rest of my sweet sweet little life that is a great one also so that was Stephen Fry the secret life of a manic depressive and then to finish up what would you recommend that we read Charlie Cox um one of my books maybe (laughs) one both I'll read them out for you. So Charlie's poetry books are called She Must Be Mad and Validate Me and are available in all good book retail places. Support your local bookstore um, and order from them because that's very important at the moment. Um, Yes, you should read my books. (laughs) No, I think um, I I don't know. It feels a bit big headed, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You go and read my Hey, why not? I wrote them, spent some time on well, them. Well, that's why I read that for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and they both detail, um, in, I hope, a manageable way, my experiences um, with being a woman with a sad brain sometimes. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you just need to know that other people have also felt that same pain that you're feeling mm-hmm. um alternatively um i will i will send you the link to this um Gemma styles because i can't think of the name of it off the top of my head right now but there is an article on the guardian by hannah jane parkinson i think that's her name i really hope i haven't messed that up i think it's hannah jane parkinson and she talks about um, why the conversation around mental health is so broken and flawed and what it means for people with mental illnesses, how much damage we're doing to um, those who live with a mental illness by not having the correct conversation about mental health. And I just, I shouted yes at every line. I thought, wow, wow, she gets it. What a powerful, powerful piece. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Good Influence. If you've enjoyed the episode, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using. And if you're feeling generous, you can rate and review as well. Your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast. See you next week.